You're listening to the Raiseology Podcast. Today's episode is all about developing a habit of courage. Our guest is Kate Swoboda, the author of The Courage Habit, and the interview was so great that I decided to split it into two parts. Today's episode is part one, and it's all about using the principles of the courage habit to deal with challenges and fears that we commonly face as parents. Episode two will help us teach our children to develop courage habits of their own. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Raiseology podcast with your host, pediatrician and parenting mentor, Sharon Somek, here to empower parents to raise resilient and independent children. Grab your coffee or your margarita and let's get started. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should be used to supplement rather than substitute the care provided by your physician. Today we have on the show Kate Swoboda, aka Kate Courageous, and she is the creator of YourCourageousLife.com and the author of The Courageous Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, release the past, and live your courageous life. She helps individuals, teams, and companies see where old fear-based habits have kept people stuck or started to limit what's possible for an organization and then start creating more courageous lives by getting into the courage habit a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change. And we have her on the show today because I really want to talk about how we can create a courage habit as parents. And um, and so thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to enlighten the audience. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate it. And um, I guess I would love to hear a little bit more about you personally, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself so that we could get to know you better. Sure. Um, what feels like really relevant in this moment. Um, the Courage Habit came out in May of 2018, and it was a really exciting time, but it was also like all these years of creating and birthing a book and then going, okay, what's next? Because the book dream had kind of been this top of the mountain, you know? Yes, I do know. <laughs> like, I'm going to need a new mountain. Um, and... I, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I consider myself to predominantly be a writer, although I'm wild about coaching and facilitation. I think it all ties together in terms of just being really wild about who people are and why we do what we do. And what's, what's, you know, the most recent relevant thing for me right now is I'm going into a space of hyper creation after a dormancy period following the book coming out. And it's, it's just been really great to, to, to have that muscle moving again and uh, lots of stuff I've been, been making and, and all that. And I don't know, Sagittarius with a couple planets in Virgo, um, getting into weightlifting for the first time, which means that I feel really badass if I can lift like 10 pounds. <laughs> and yeah, I live in uh, Sonoma County outside of San Francisco. Um, awesome. And you said you have a daughter. How old is she? She's four years old. Okay, great. Um, so basically, I, I know you have a, um, a process that you go through in um, the courage habit, but can you tell us a little bit about where 
the idea for the courage habit came from and what exactly it means and how it might be relevant to the audience, which is um, basically an audience of parents. Hmm. Well, I mean, being a parent (laughs) inherently requires courage. Um, Absolutely. When I first began playing with the phrase, the courage habit, it was purely you know, talking with my publisher, initial talks about the book deal before I'd even signed. It was, um, let's call the book The Courage Habit, and it'll be about, you know, courage is a good thing to have in your life every day. And in a, a, I have a little bit of a Google Scholar addiction. Like, I genuinely enjoy learning about um, all the aspects of who we are. And part of that is, I think, biochemical and so, and neuropsychological. And by, by no means am I an expert in uh, any of those dim- domains, but I really enjoy <laughs> looking at Google Scholar and seeing what the latest research abstracts are on behavioral change or what the connection is between like your biochemistry and mood regulation and, and stuff like that. So, I, I kind of went, well, well, let me dive a little bit deeper in here. Like, like what is there to courage and habit formation? And I began putting some pieces together and ki- came to realize that, first of all, there's an entire discipline that studies psychological courage, which I had been unaware of. I thought courage was just this very, like, self-helpy term that was invoked. And I really equate courage, or I often do, to emotional resilience because Courage is that moment when it's like, man, this could really be bad. This could not go my way. I could totally fail. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that to me requires a lot of emotional resilience. So the more emotionally resilient someone is, the more they are able to practice courage. So I see the two as really being hand in hand, going together and being enmeshed in many ways. I love that. And actually, yeah, I like to try to to help parents to raise resilient children. So I really do value the importance of that. So, yeah, that that's something that's on my mind a lot as a parent, Um, particularly because my idea of how that would work, I have noticed, differs from many of the parents around me. and I don't want to make them wrong because I do believe that, and, and I feel like I should say this too, if we're going to talk about parenting, I always try to remember to say this, which is like, I'm just talking about what concerns me as a parent, what I think about as a parent, what I think works for me as a parent. If somebody else wants to do it differently, awesome. And I believe it was Freakonomics, the guys who write, you know, the Freakonomics stuff that they came out with like a thing that determined that there is no one parenting philosophy that actually produces definitively better children or more adjusted children that grow to be more adjusted adults. But their research found that just if you were a parent who at all had an impulse to try to adhere to some kind of philosophy, your child was more likely to grow up and be like a, a, a more <laughs> adjusted adult. So I was like, okay, all right. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I um, you know, I started to really research courage and habit formation, emotional resilience, and what kept turning up in the research was that there were four behaviors in particular that practiced regularly really fit with emotional resilience. And you can do one of them. You can do all of them. All of them together is a lot. 
more resilient. Um, and then the other thing that emerged too is that we often think of habits as being purely remembering to go to the gym, brush your teeth, pack your lunch before you leave. But actually, there, there are emotional behaviors that become habitual. Like if you are in an argument and you find that every time you're in an argument with your spouse, you seem to want to get a pot shot in, there's very likely, I won't say for everyone, but very likely an emotional behavioral habit that is in play that has you default to that choice in an argument. And there are other people for whom in an argument, their emotional behavioral habit would be to back down and placate. So there are these emotional behavioral habits that we often don't even think about. And if, and if anything can be changed when it comes to habits, then we can identify what our fear-based habits are, the things that make us shrink or that have us basically doing things in our lives that aren't very functional. And we can go, oh, I want to recognize the moment when that habit is at work, pause it, and then choose something different. And so these four behaviors that I found that boosted emotional resilience, aka courage, were to access the body, listen to your fear without attaching to your fear, to reframe the limiting stories that fear tells you, and to reach out and create community. And I can unpack those as we talk today, but I just wanted to give the overview of what those four things are. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, it's it's a really interesting topic because I think that fear in general, and it, it really does impact our parenting and it impacts how we, um, what we allow our children to do and how independent we allow our children to become. And um, and I agree with you. I think that if you're happy with your parenting and you're, you know, you, you, um, this is certainly not a place of judgment, right? We want to talk about what makes us happy as parents and what we feel is helping us as parents. Because if somebody does feel they want extra information, we're always happy to share. Um, but I find that there are a lot of times where I, as a parent, know that I want to allow my children to do something or um, may be afraid to allow my children to do something. And I don't always know how to get past that and um, and what the right thing to do f- for my children is at that moment. Right. I mean, to me, the the place where the courage habit work can be most effective for parents is that place where if as a parent you feel like you are just constantly kind of ruminating or, or second guessing or going, I don't know, or, you know, you're on five different parenting groups going, here's what my toddler did today. And I'm not sure what it's like. I mean, at least from my experience of a parent, I, if for sure, I have fears. Yes. I am not into fearless. I am into fearing less as in not letting it control you. Um, and I, and I confess, I even feel like such an outlier on this topic in some ways that I feel self-conscious about it sometimes or worried that I'll sound arrogant. But my truth is that uh, 80% of the time, I don't really worry too much about the choices I'm making. I don't mean that I'm like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean that when my daughter 
wants to push a boundary, there's, there's kind of this pause beat that I have with myself and an assessment of what's going on. And I can tell when I'm reactive versus when I'm not and kind of going, huh, okay, here, here's how I think I'm going to handle this. And just trusting that there's enough love that if, if she comes to me 15 years from now and says, you know, here, here was my experience of you as a parent when I was a kid, that, that I, can, I can say two things. I can say, one, ah, here's what I know I was trying to do then, just to give you the context. And two, you know, if that wasn't what you needed, because of course she's an individual and she might not need what I'm trying to offer, I'm sorry. You know, like that's, I, I don't know how it gets any better than that. How does it get any better than that? It, you know, like what more could anyone do? No, I mean, I think that, you know, we're all doing the best we can and um, trying to use what we know or what we can learn to, you know, help them become the best people they can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I attribute my ability to be, relatively speaking, like I said, grounded in in how I'm approaching parenting to the work that I'm doing with this other stuff, the stuff that seemingly has nothing to do with parenting. Right. So, well, you know, like that to me is where where it goes. It's not that I have a parenting philosophy. And in fact, I live, you know, like I said, in Sonoma County, which is only about 45 minutes away from what I jokingly call ground zero for like hyper parenting philosophies, which is Berkeley, California. <laughs> and, you know, like I don't do any of that, really any of that stuff. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I did not, I did not do a lot of the stuff that these days in our current parenting culture, you're told as a mother, you should do. I did not baby wear. 24 seven. I did not co-sleep. I did not breastfeed. I did not, I did cry it out when she was seven or so months old for sleep yeah. training. I um, let my kids cry it out even before then. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was just kind of when, when it ended up being the right time. I think yes. she got, if I'm remembering correctly, my daughter got sick a couple times. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to do cry it out when your kiddo is, is sick for sure. Um, so, yeah, I did all that stuff. And as far as I can tell, again, we're only four years in and I am not a parenting expert. But as far as I can tell, my daughter is a safely, securely attached, loving person who walks up to just about anyone and says hi and introduces herself. And, you know, she she's not a, a perfect child, um, but she's perfectly imperfect as far as I'm concerned. I'm her yeah. mother, you know. For sure. So I asked you to come on this podcast and speak, even though you may not think that, um, so you may not have thought about parenting as the natural um, topic to discuss when talking about the courage habit, but I heard you speak on a podcast and I really um, thought that it was a perfect topic for parents because um because I think that as a society, we have sort of lost a little bit of perspective and um, and become very fearful. And it's so natural, right? The world is such a scary place today that it's hard not to be afraid of 
a lot of things when it comes to um, letting your children go places and um, and do things that we feel would be good for them to do, but sometimes we are afraid to allow them to do. And so I would love to get into those four aspects of the courage habit and really talk about how we could use those to um, to deal with our fear, right? Because like you said, it's not about being fearless. It's about knowing how to manage. Absolutely. Sure. Um, so I'll, you know, what I'll do is I'll talk about them. I actually think the courage habit is great for parents. I profile a couple parents in, in the book. Um, none of my profiles are, uh, based on exact clients. Um, but there are a couple parents and, 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 who use some parts of the courage habit, let's say. So like, for instance, let's say I'm having a day where I got a lot going on and, you know, my, my kiddo has like a bunch of power struggle stuff going on. Well, first part of the courage habit is accessing the body. And that is all about, you know, often we try to deal with fear in this really logical way. We try to, you know, probably all as mothers had this moment where we grip the side of the counter in the kitchen and we say to ourselves, you need to breathe. Don't yell, breathe, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that breathing intervention is one form of accessing the body, but that you need to not yell. You need to not yell. Talk that you're doing with yourself is accessing logic. Probably what you actually need to do in that moment is like get your kiddo playing with something else go into a private room, like the bathroom, take a towel and like pretend to scream. Like maybe don't make a screaming noise. Cause that would obviously scare a small child from the next room, but like silently scream into a towel or a pillow or just cry for like five minutes. Just like go like, honey, I'm going to the bathroom. Okay. Going to the bathroom. You might need to just cry for five minutes. Like that's, what's going to be the release valve. And I mean, you're a pediatrician, so you know that when kids are crying and, and emoting, that that's actually a very normal, natural, healthy thing to do. And I tend to think, why is it that we as adults think that once we're adults, it's no longer normal or natural? So yeah. literally, I give myself the space to, when I'm really frustrated, angry, you know, scream into a towel, punch the air. Um, stomp my feet, uh, cry. And sometimes, you know, my work is accessing the body. Sometimes my work is you turn on a silly playlist and you're like dance party. And then you do like a dance party with your toddler. Like there are all of these different options. Um, But accessing the body is a really important part that showed up in the research that I found um, for practicing courage because it leads to mindfulness and clearer thinking. And that mindfulness and clearer thinking gives you a lot more information about what you want to do next in those frustrating parenting moments than logic or than even adhering to a particular parenting philosophy of any kind. Um, So I I see accessing the body as about venting excess emotion for yourself so that the emotion is not using you. And then I see it as about getting to clear thinking. And then The other piece that tends to follow once we get into clear thinking is listening without attachment. And what we often try to do with fear is we try to ignore it 
or placate it. Like if we can just do it right, maybe the fearful voice won't show up or attack it, like tell it to shut up and go away. Well, here's a great, you know, this doesn't really work for moms in particular, parents in particular to think about. Would that work with your kids? The next time your kids are misbehaving, would you just simply ignore them, like shun them, tell them to go away? I, I get that in, in life, we tell people we need space or we say, I need a break right now. I'm going to go take it. I'm talking about like the way that we talk to fear in our head. Right. This, this idea of like telling fear to F off. So I'm going to beat it away. No, doesn't work. Um, placating it. If I just do it right, they won't get mad. Well, I actually think that this is one of the biggest things that I've seen in parenting that has gone completely awry because it doesn't teach kids to deal with disappointment when you are constantly distracting them and giving them some kind of intervention instead of letting them experience their very natural disappointment that it is not their turn right now to play with the toy. It is not the right time for them to stay up. My daughter, at least, and I've seen other kids who are different, but my daughter has never responded to us trying to explain to her why we're doing what we're doing from the get-go. She has always responded better when first it's the boundary and she's clear that we are not doing this. Then she has her feelings about it and then we explain why. But if we just try to explain why, she has no boundary to butt up against and then she just actually gets really wiggly. And like, she's like trying to figure out well, what's going on here. Is it yes or is it no? And you can somatically see the tension starting to ratchet up in her body. And also placating taken to an extreme can really lead to entitlement. So you're always going to be running around trying to placate. So with fear, you are not going to ignore it. You are not going to ever beat it away. And you are never going to placate it into not coming up. Doesn't work. So listen without attachment. So we listen to what the fear is saying. And that might mean that in that moment, I take a moment to cry because I'm having a frustrating day. Maybe my fear comes up. Um, maybe it's something like, I don't know, I've already let her watch an hour of TV and I just feel like I'm done for the day. And I want to let her just watch another movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's like way too much screen time. Like she's just watching movies all day. She hasn't done anything else. What kind of mother are you to, you know, maybe that's like going through my head. And instead of telling it to shut up or go away, I just need to listen. Like what's it actually saying? And what it's saying is that it's afraid. It's afraid of her harming my daughter inadvertently. It's afraid of my, my own feelings about not meeting my own parenting standards. And then it's time to reframe limiting stories. And reframing limiting stories is not reciting pithy affirmations. Reframing limiting stories actually has a research basis in dialectical behavior therapy, narrative therapy, all kinds of different modalities, because it's about putting things into context. So instead of I'm a bad mother, if I let my daughter watch yet another hour of TV, it's, you know what? <laughs> Today, I'm not doing it perfectly. She's watching too much TV. Tomorrow, I, I'd like to do it differently. <laughs> like, like that might be the reframe. Or 
Right. I can only do so much. <laughs> I can only do so much. Or my most favorite reframe of all with parenting, which is I know that the TV in my own home in the 80s growing up was on nonstop. <laughs> and I think I turned out okay <laughs> and able to like socialize and not a recluse and like not at the will of the commercials and not addicted to screens. So, okay. Reframe limiting stories. There we go. Like I survived my childhood. Right. Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to trust that my daughter is going to do okay too. And then finally, reaching out and creating community. And that can look like, you know, you talk to your mom friends who are going to be like, you know, girl, I'm with you. I get it. My, my little Harper watched 10 hours of TV last Saturday because I was trying to get a project done and I felt so guilty, but whatever, I doubt she'll remember it when she's, you know, an adult. So there, you know, like whatever it's going to be, the, 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 um, the help and the support from the people who truly are going to support you. And I think that reaching out and creating community also can sometimes look like letting kids in on like giving them a little window into what's going on. Like there was a a thing over this past weekend where like my husband and I started to get into something and I just was so frustrated. I kind of started to cry and my daughter's like, mommy, are you really sad? And I just was like, oh, you know what, sweetie, I am really sad and I'm going to take some breaths and daddy and I are going to talk. And, you know, sometimes I just feel a little bit sad. I have a lot of feelings coming up right now. And she's like, totally accepting this. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. And then she's like, do you want a hug? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love a hug. You know, like that can sometimes be how it goes with kids, not making them take responsibility for making us feel better, but being transparent about what it looks like to be a being. Like, I don't want my daughter to grow up and think that there's something wrong with adults who cry. There's nothing wrong with adults who cry. It happens. And like, the important thing is that, at least to me, what I noticed with her um, is that she's not kept in the dark about what's going on. Because that is like, I know growing up for me, not understanding what was happening in adult world was what created anxiety for me. That was what was hard was feeling like what's going on and I don't know. And I'm part of this family too, but I have like no idea what's going on here. So yeah, there we go. (laughs) There, there's like a window into like my imperfect life and how I believe that I'm trying to be a being and also raise a being with courage, with resilience, with, with a greater understanding of what it looks like to be a being. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree. I think that it's important for them to see sort of, you know, you want, obviously you're not going to show them everything, but you want them to see that adults argue sometimes and it's okay. Just because you argue with someone doesn't mean you don't love them. And, you know, sometimes adults cry and they get sad. Sometimes parents get frustrated and all of those moments really are teaching moments for them too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In this world, people are not going to have perfect responses. And I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want to socialize her into that. 
And I don't want to distract her from it either. I actually want to give her an experience of kind of dipping her toe in. Um, for sure, for sure, it's harmful to kids if they see you and your partner going at it with each other, you know, loud and scary. Da, da, da. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's what was going on with my husband and I. It was just one of those little marital things where, like, just a lot of stuff had had pent up. And frankly, I needed a cry. She, you know, it's like I had actually gone to the bathroom yeah. to have a moment. <laughs> And she, you know, found me unexpectedly. Like I was actually she doing my you. own stuff. I was taking my own medicine here. And, you know, so it was just kind of like, all right, like this is how, this is sometimes how adults are and everybody is. And, and you know, we've talked about it since even, or not since, but like oh, in general, I'd say that we have conversations sure. about sometimes people have a lot of feelings and they come out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to, I just, I want to get a little bit into sort of how parents can use the courage habit when it comes to fear um, that may stop us from giving our kids independence, mm -hmm. right? So I can give you an example. I have a, an almost 12 year old daughter and she she wants to be given the freedom and independence and responsibility of walking to school. Now, as a parent, I, you know, first of all, as a parent who grew up in, in the city, I grew up in Queens and I, at her age, was taking public buses to school and um, had a lot of independence. And today, I feel we don't live in the same kind of situation, so it's a little bit different, but I feel nervous to let her walk mm -hmm. to school. Now, partly I feel nervous because of things you hear about in the news and things that you hear about, you know, where thankfully in our neighborhood, nothing really terrible has happened. We live in a pretty safe neighborhood, but every now and then you get an email from the school to say, you know, uh, car stopped and spoke to a middle schooler on their way home from school and the middle schooler ran off and, you know, the police were called and, you know, it's not common, but it doesn't never mm -hmm. happen. Right. So how would you recommend that a parent, and this is just one example, I'm sure there are so many examples of things where parents are preventing their children from being able to do things for the small risks or, or fears I mean, large fears over small risks, right? That they may have. Um, well, I'd say that, um, you know, the first thing that I think a lot of parents would would do well to do for themselves would be to regularly process through, and this is the accessing the body, the very, I'll, I'll use the emotional balloon metaphor. It's like, Imagine that there's a balloon, an emotional balloon that's holding all the stress that we all carry. And it's, it's like every time you're hearing one of those stories about the creeper guy who pulls up in the car, a little bit, your, your emotional balloon gets a little bit fuller. And every time you hear about the kidnappings that happen in the world, it gets a little fuller. And like all these things get really full. Well, what happens with a balloon that gets too full? It either leaks air or it explodes. 
And for people where it explodes in the example we're talking about would probably be people who like just get like a sudden anxiety kind of a, a disorder, something more clinical where it just builds up to a degree that it's, it's like clinical um, or panic attacks, things like that. Um, just really starting to have serious trauma responses because that air is not being vented. If it's leaking, it's probably going to be clamping down control fear-based responses. And I'm not saying any of these about you specifically because I'm, I'm like standing right beside you in solidarity. The schools my daughter will go to are within walking distance and the idea of her walking to them mm-hmm. <laughs> freaks me out, you know? So um, <laughs> when I say freaks me out, what I mean is it, you know, I, it, some anxiety would come up for me when that moment arrives. It's not there yet. And so what I think that probably what we all should be doing more of on a regular basis is sitting down and actually just, this is going to sound crazy, but it's the sanest work I know, really accessing your despair about the fact that there are mothers who go through this, like really accessing the, the fury that, that we live in a world that apparently tolerates it. This to me is the biggest of the entry points. That's like the big, big, big one. So our, our emphasis can be either on the children that are harmed or our emphasis can be on how many, 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 many children are actually not harmed because we as parents equip them to know what to do in those situations and how many fewer children these days, statistically kidnappings are way down, are harmed because all of us together are working to change the culture and trying to put our attention in that reframe. And then there's reaching out and creating community. I mean, I personally would probably like cry to my husband about it. I would probably cry to my friends about it. I would probably, you know, like you're reaching out, you're saying like, hey, I'm not going to try to put on my armor and pretend like I've got this all dialed down. I'm going to actually go to my friends and say, this feels really big for me. And after having done some of that work myself, it might be going to my daughter and saying, here's the thing, this feels really big for me. Is there a compromise that we can come up with together? Maybe it's you're walking to school on your own from a halfway point that we determined that I drop you off at. So it's a little bit less of a walk. Maybe it's one day a week you walk to school on your own. You know, I don't know what it could be. I'm throwing out little, little ideas that are, you know, just not at all ideas that I've ever been confronted with. Cause I don't yet have a 12 year old in that situation. Um, so I don't want to pretend I know what the, the good options are. Um, but maybe even enrolling her in what some alternatives could be because, you know, she's the one asking to walk on her own. So she might have some other ideas. Yeah. So that to me is what it looks like to bolster the courage. But, you know, again, to me, in those sorts of situations, the biggest one is the accessing the body, because the fact is we live in a world that is fundamentally out of control. And I mean, I could say no to my daughter walking to school in a couple years. And I mean, it's terrifying to think about, but the thing that could actually be the bigger harm would be driving her to school, (laughs) you know, or terrifyingly (laughs) until common sense gun reform is passed 
she might not even be safe at the school. I mean, it's just, there are all these things. I know. We live in a fundamentally insecure world and the Buddhists call it trying to get the ground beneath our feet when we're really clinging to a way to get control and we fundamentally don't have control. And to me, that does not mean, well, if we have no control, you might as well worry about anything. Like, no, <laughs> you know, like we can bring some, some common sense to this. Um, Right. Yeah. There has to be yeah. balance, right? I but mean, we can't we also can't get a- spun out in the lack of control by trying to clamp down harder and think that that's going to work. It doesn't work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I we've definitely talked about it. And, you know, I mean, school starts for us in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, this episode is being recorded at the end of the summer. And, um, and we – I mean, she has – we're fortunate that she has the opportunity to take the bus to school. Um, And it's very early in the morning. So my guess is she'll take the bus to school. Um, And then I think my husband and I will probably discuss it further with her. And maybe if she has a friend to walk with, then she can walk home. But I don't really feel comfortable with her walking completely by herself, at least not yet. And that's the truest thing you can know. And all you can ever do is, all we can ever do as parents, right, is go, here's, after considering yeah. the options, here's what I believe to be the best one. Yeah. And, you know, we're fortunate that she really is a pretty um, reasonable um, child in the sense that she gets it. Um, she, we talk things through all the time. We express our feelings and she knows when there's something that we're not comfortable with that you know, it, there's a reason for it. We share the reasons for it. And she's usually pretty good about helping us come up with a solution. So hopefully, you know, we'll figure it out. And as she gets older, I'm sure it will change. Yeah. I love it. That brings us to the end of part one of developing a courage habit. Tune in next week to help your children learn how to develop their own habits of courage. Thanks for listening to the Raiseology podcast. Head over to www.raiseology.com where you'll find plenty of You've Got This resources for parents and any links or tools mentioned in today's show. Be sure to hit subscribe on your podcatcher so that you can listen to the next episode the minute it's out. Until next time, have an empowered week.